Live from the Minotaur's Labyrinth, this is Derailed Trains of Thought. This is sort of a rundown, sort of classical place. What are we doing here, Nick? <sighs> it's really dark. I keep hearing a dog barking around I, here it's somewhere. It's weird. I mean, there's some nice statues that are broken, most, mostly put. Together. I don't know why. Who? I don't know who brought all these angel statues down here if they're just gonna break them. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of strange. Yeah, I I feel both cultured and in danger. Mm, yeah, that's a, that's a good summary of this place. Good thing we have a torch. Yes. Yeah. So I guess, may, do we keep meandering as we talk or do we just hide and find a corner alcove? Are we in danger? I have no idea. Well, the podcast usually somehow never interrupt. We never get interrupted when we're recording this thing. Okay. Let's find a corner. So we'll, we'll find a corner. Yeah. I think we'll be okay. But anyway, hi, folks. Hi, everyone. I'm Nick. And my name is Tim. This is Derailed Trains of Thought. Your premier podcast on storytelling. For the creator and the consumer. We'll see how far we can <laughs> trade this thing back and forth. <laughs> I'm trying to lead it to you. <laughs> All right. So, Tim, we're uh, midway through summer as we record, or actually more That's than that. Right. Uh, actually, yeah, we're doing pretty good this summer. Like, sometimes we uh, we get busy, and so we don't, we miss a July episode or something, but we're, uh, we're keeping on track here, I think, so far. Knock on wood, if there's any wood in this. Labyrinth. Marble. Knock on marble. Knock on marble, sure. All right. Well, I guess we'll just go ahead and jump straight into Story School. All right, so this week, uh, fellow listeners, we're going to try something. Fellow listeners, well, I guess I am listening to you right now. <laughs> Anyways, we're go- this has been on our list for a long time, but it's a little, we're not sure where this is going exactly. <laughs> well, that's encouraging. Yes. But I found this article probably years ago now called The Desirability of Storytellers. And it was written largely from an evolutionary standpoint, talking about tribes and, well, let me give you the context. Yes, please. All right. So to summarize the article, or at least parts of the article, they were saying this tribe somewhere, the Philippines, I guess. And they were just doing kind of saying, hey, who, who's most important in your tribe or who will you most want to be friends with? And they gave them like choice of the hunters and the warriors and the chiefs and stuff. And then they just threw in storyteller kind of randomly. And like this, the storyteller had like like beat out everyone. And they thought that was really fascinating. Easily, too, from what, from yeah. what I remember. And they're like... Oh, this is interesting because, you know, you'd think it'd be the hunter or the war, you know, the war or something, but the storyteller everyone wants to hang out with. And they did some more studying. They have some theories and we'll get to in a second. Um, and they found out because it's evolutionary point of view that they also have 0.5 more kids than everyone else. The storytellers. The do. storytellers. Yeah. So the ladies, uh, we're very, well, I should say <laughs> ladies are wives. <laughs> we're, we're apparently we're very desirable. Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> At least in hunter gatherer tribes we are. Anyways, the you're, qu- you're lucky your wife doesn't listen to this. I just realized mine does. Like I, I have to be watch what I say on here now. Yes, I was going to try to pull some strong bad out real quick, but but anyways, the article was just reporting on like, okay, this is an interesting finding. How do we explain the desirability of storytellers from this evolutionary point of view? Which this that's just what they're assuming. Mm. Now, cards on the table. Tim and I do not come from an evolutionary point of view. I think most people would be surprised, like, evolutionary point of view. They don't even think of that, of that as a worldview. But, yeah, because there's a whole thing like, well, anything that exists has to have come through, must have some sort of adaptive use in society. That, you know, it, evolution about survival of the fittest, what we learn to do, we do because it helps us survive. Mm-hmm. And so apparently they're saying, hey, storytellers must help the tribe survive. And that's why, obviously, they have more kids, so that helps. And so their theory is this, is that they tell stories in this tribe about egalitarian working together myths, you know, the sun and the moon work together and split the world, and, and that these stories keep the social dynamic working. And so the adaptive function of the storyteller is to keep society functioning well in order so that they can survive. Mm-hmm. Okay. Long Long download there. Which that tends to be the explanation scientists give for a number of things that like 
how society functions. Like this is what the tribe found is the best functioning thing. So that is why we adapted it, whether well, it's it, morals, rules, etc. Evolutionary wise, basically, if it still exists, it has to have had a function at some point. Yeah. And so you got to figure out what that is. Tim and I come from, we've said before, a Christian worldview. We tend to think there's something lacking in that worldview. But I wanted to start there for this reason. I found it an interesting question to be like, what is the desirability of storyteller? Why is it desirable? Should it be desirable, storyteller? Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's a thing we all like now, but what is the why and how do we get there? So this article was a jumping off point saying, hey, storytellers help keep society functioning in a way that promotes survival. Is there any of that you agree with? I think it's when I say that like evolutionary kind of points to like function as part of it, I'm always feel like, yes. And okay. So (laughs) what's the yes? The yes is like, yes, I, I can agree that stories are a way that we communicate ideas that we want. Say, if you're telling a story to your children, you want your stories that communicate ideas for your children to understand. It's a teaching mechanism. Jesus would agree with that himself. He used parables and teaching. The Bible itself is full of stories that we can learn from. So I think Christianity can agree with that. But we would also say there's more to it. Yeah, and I think that's what we're going to get to. It's interesting. The article ends with the origin of storytelling doesn't necessarily reflect its later uses, though. And then it talks about how, like in mine, things that stories were used basically to oppress the women. Uh-huh. Um, so then they always have the caveat, it teaches good things originally, and then got out of control, but we didn't need it anymore, or we found other ways to adapt, or yeah. et cetera. Which, again, Christianity would agree to a point, and like, yes, stories can be misused. Yes, um, I, are, I completely agree with that. There are plenty of stories that tell untruths, and um, stories can lie. So that was, that was sort of my thought as a starting point, that that's our interesting article I found, I'm like, let's talk about it. That's hunter-gatherer tribes in Philippines. Okay. Let's take to just modern, normal life. This Do won't think... necessarily be a world tour of story philosophy. No, we're just using it as a jumping-off point here. So here's a question. What do you think is the social rank of a storyteller in modern day? I mean, are they well-respected, not well-respected? I mean, what do you think? It's an interesting place right now. I mean, on one level, everyone's become a storyteller. At yes. this point, because of social media, it's about telling your story and your truth and all that kind of stuff. And everyone wants, I mean, it used to be, you know, 20, 30 years ago, everyone, everyone would write the great American novel. Yes. Now it's everyone wants to be the- Or go to next, Hollywood and become the movie star. Yeah. But now it's more the, become the content creator, the influencer. The YouTuber, the yeah. Instagrammer, yeah, what, whichever have you. So at least it seems desirability for, as a self-fulfillment thing, seems to be very high. Yeah. But what do you think, I mean, social, do we look up to storytellers? I think it de- depends on, in some ways, on the, their platform. Okay. On the one hand, if you're a very highly successful author, sure, yes, there's a lot of respect for you. People are going to be inherently more interested in what you're going to say. And I think that's true for movie stars, people in the movie business, too, or in the film industry. Although, again, it depends highly on your success level. Yeah. If you are a successful actor... And you're clean, people will be interested in, yeah. in who you are and what you have to say. If you tend to be a diva and throw tantrums and are seen, you know, living it up, people are going to be, they're going to be like, ah, a spoiled rich kid. Now, you've been doing some movie history work. Yeah. For our upcoming podcast, which you'll hear more about down the road. Yes. Soonish. Soonish. But yeah, I know there's the rise of the auteur, mm-hmm. the like the independent director does what he wants, single. But it does also seem like somewhere around, and maybe my history is wrong and that's what I'm asking. I want to say like 90s, people started caring a lot more who wrote the TV, the movie. That's a good question. I don't know that I could say off the top of my head when people started becoming more aware of that. I do believe the auteur theory started in like 60s, 70s-ish, and that's when really the rise of the the celebrity directors became a thing. Yes. I don't know about screenwriters. I guess it could be 90s. I mean, certainly by the time we get into like DVDs coming out and there's a lot more information about, well, because of the internet, but there's just a lot more information about behind the scenes and the whole field of movie making. Yeah, just interesting me. I know, I know growing up, like 
I knew J. Michael Straczynski's name. Okay. Chris Carter. I used and now I was a creative person. Sure, sure. Well, um, those are both showrunners too. Yes, so that's that, true. They just happen to also be writing a lot of those because not always those aren't always the same thing. Although no, but a lot depends. of times you could tell like ah, oh, that's a you know you'd watch like oh he knows you know and then it's the creator who wrote that episode. Yeah, direct, yeah, yeah. That's a fair point. Yeah, it seems like a '90s thing. I don't have the. I've never really looked into yeah. that closely. You know, now people are like, "Oh, it's so and so's run of the comic," or yeah, yeah, that's true. So maybe that's an interesting point. I wouldn't be surprised if some of like the comic book industry knowledge kind of fed into how people perceive the TV and movies industry. No, that's probably yeah. Anyway, I bring that up because it does seem like that there, like you said, success level creates a certain amount of I don't know idolization respectability respectability like we look up we because at some point you're just a wannabe you, yes you want to break into the industry and people look down on you in a sense because like oh why are you wasting your time you're never going to be the one to get to the rise to mm-hmm. the top of uh, get your stuff sold and read and but it's interesting nowadays even some of the minor stuff people have different followings i mean true true and i mean i'll buy anything may makes <laughs> there you go yeah no that, that's a good point because the whole thing now is that you find the person, you find the creator you want to follow, not the publishing company or the station or anything. Yeah, it's always who is doing it. Yeah, that's true. I mean, we're talking general terms here. I suppose it really does. It still depends on what generation you're talking okay. about. Okay, I guess. Yeah, I guess I'm thinking our age and younger. Yeah. generally. Yeah, that's fair. So it does seem like there is at least a subsection of the culture that cares deeply about their storytellers. Mm-hmm. You know, Neil Gaiman has a following like crazy. Yeah, that's Tolkien true. has a following like crazy. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, writers, authors, that's a little different. I think they've had their following for longer. That's true. Like Dickens, you know, he was, yeah, he, was like, he was a celebrity. I, that's true. Shakespeare was a celebrity. I mean, well, I assume he was. I guess I don't actually know. I don't know for sure about that one. Yeah, but I know Dickens was. Yeah. So this might, in some ways, sound like a basic fact, but I think it's worth asking: Why are people? Why do people idolize? have a deep respect for creators. I think there is a fascination for people who have put in the work and have become skilled at telling a story. I'm very curious. I'd love to know there's really not a modern day analog for, I mean, there, I know there are people who do the oral tradition of storytelling mm-hmm. who will go to festivals and tell stories, yeah. but I don't know very many of them who have a following. The last one I knew was Garrison Keillor. Yeah. I mean, I'd be very curious It'd be interesting to observe that in a less technologically savvy culture. Like you read books like, so I'm reading the first of the Wheel of Time books. Yes. And there's these guys called Gleeman, whose whole profession is to go from town to town to tell stories, which is an idea I've heard about from, you know, other medieval sources. But like, it's a big deal whenever a Gleeman comes to town. Like It's the, the only entertainment. It's the only entertainment. The tavern gets full up with people wanting to hear stories. Even those stories people have heard before, it's a very valuable commodity. And there is something to, I mean, one, we value that escapism. I mean, I guess, I guess the whole reason, like, why do we value storytellers is the same ties back into why do we value stories? See 130 previous episodes about that. <laughs> but yeah, but I guess that's what interests me is that, how, how do I phrase this properly? Okay. Before I go any further, let's just listen. Okay. We've, we've assumed it. Yeah. For 130 episodes. Yeah, yeah. I guess yeah. We could recap some of these we talked about, like um, we we because we had an episode on this called "Give Thanks for Stories." It was yeah. kind of a Thanksgiving episode. Let's see if we, what we can review from that real quick. The, the escapism remind us of better things, better morals, like we talked yeah. about earlier. Takes us outside of ourselves. It's a way to kind of feel like we've seen the world while <laughs> staying home. And I agree with all those. I guess the two that come to my mind that seem very. And I'm probably wrong about this, okay? But seem to be exasperated in the modern era is stories giving meaning. There's a, a certain internet culture, there's a lot of self involved, like connected to people's stories. Mm-hmm. Like they live in certain things. Example I, I don't know much about this. I heard about it recently Disney adults. I've heard the term, yeah. There are people who are literally like who get married at Disney. I guess they had to stop people from like dropping off ashes at Disney. <laughs> oh goodness! Um, and this is probably an exaggeration, but I think there you could make an argument that there are some ways, and as we become a less religious society, there is more emphasis on story. Hmm. In the modern culture, more need for a framework by which to understand the world. Okay. Are you talking about like living? 
more vicariously through stories, that kind of escapism, more like giving more worth. Like, here's the thing: I love stories. I have to do this podcast. Okay, right, right, right. But I do wonder, and again, someone could probably prove me wrong. I do wonder sometimes whether there is a stories have been in some circles given more weight than they deserve. Okay, in in, in life, in a culture, in mm-hmm. a. You see our episode on uh, idolatry, the idolatry yeah. of stories. So I guess this is just connecting a lot of old stuff. Is that we have these tribe, you know, these tribal cultures who vary the storyteller, but it creates this this social dynamic, this continuity. Uh-huh. But through, in some ways, religious stories. I mean, they're myths they're sharing a lot of times mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And I think probably hasn't changed the fact of one of connection, meaning, and continuity and social dynamics from stories, but. We have so many stories and so many different ways we're coming at it. It just, I wonder if there's an, you know, if there's an analogous thing going on, but it's just been split into a million pieces. Because of all the the hundreds of stories that are ongoing right now. And the internet and the, you know, and the mass media and the, uh-huh. and, and the breakdown of a, if, I won't say breakdown, the exasperation of a monolithic worldview. I'm not saying it's good to have a monolithic but culturally, we do not have a single yeah. way of looking at the world anymore. I mean, I think there is some truth to that. I mean, I think about this sometimes in regards to merchandise. We have merchandise for, like, anytime a, a franchise gets successful enough, we almost expect there to be some sort of merchandise for yes. it. Figurines, t-shirts, mugs, coasters, what have you. Yeah. Like, if you go to Box Lunch, is a yeah. store in our local mall, it's got some very tasteful decorations for all kinds of nerdy kinds of mm-hmm. pop culture stuff, which is fun. But I do wonder if sometimes we are getting our identity out of those things. Like, oh, I, I want to wear uh, Avatar The Last Airbender t-shirt because I'm a fan of that show. Oh, I need a Naruto jacket. Oh, mm-hmm. but I don't like Naruto. I'm going to go with My Hero Academia, one of those. Give me a, based on the high school, yeah. you know, the, the, the school colored kind of uniform. Oh, no, I'm not into that. Let's go with, you know, name your other anime or name, you know, I'm going to wear a Dundler Mifflin t-shirt <laughs> because I love The Office. I can't stop watching I've it. i watched it 17 times since last year. <laughs> and this is the other, like, another thing I can't help but notice. In the last decade or so, figurines have become more and more of a thing, especially with the anime crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, and they'll be have these really elaborate figurines. People will put like these little like exhibit display cases things. And like whenever, anytime I look at this in like a, a GameStop or something, like part of me is like, that's cool. But why would I want to spend $50 to put this, have this taking up space in my desk yeah. or like a whole like cabinet or something like that? Yeah. And people have always collected things. Yeah, I mean, people there, collect there's stuff, nothing yeah. wrong with collecting stuff. But there's a part of me that can't help but look at all these like little figurines and statues of our heroes and be like, are these miniature idols? There's kind of a resemblance to the whole like making a graven image for yourself. Well, sometimes I wonder... What if some alien race or some future humanity does anthropology, you know, digs us up like Egyptians uh-huh. and just finds all these plastic knickknacks? Like, what do they read into it? Like, all these symbols and icons. And again, I don't think it's wrong in necessarily just it's, it's interesting the preponderance of it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I won't deny that I may do some of this stuff like myself. If you walk into my office back home, you will see a collection of Muppets figurines. And I've got like three different Kermit plushies, uh, a couple of different Kermit Pez dispensers. Now, some of those I have because they were given to me <laughs> because people know I'm a Muppets yeah. fan. And so that's what I would get for birthdays and various things. Yeah, exactly. So, but in some ways, again, that's an identifier. Timothy's the Muppet guy. Yeah. So give him Muppet stuff. Mm hmm. And it's not a bad thing, but we always have to, I mean, I think it's worth a, a closer look because like, yeah, I don't want to just identify myself as a Muppet guy. I also want to identify myself more importantly as a Christian. So I guess let, let's segue to that. So we've kind of danced around kind of the modern view of storytellers of, you know, in some ways we're the, we're, I, I guess I'm counting myself as a storyteller in this case. Um yes. But see, I haven't we, reached we, that level of, of respectability and success yet, Tim. I'm the <laughs> wannabe. Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, fair enough. <laughs> no, but storytellers are in some ways the offering of I mean, you know, like some people get they just follow constantly. Here's what's coming out next. Here's what's coming out next. Mm-hmm. You know, or video games, I mean, is a whole different era of storytelling yeah. hype. Hype. But 
where should in a perfect world where should the the storyteller story the worth be how much should be about the same but just different should be less should it be non-existent i mean we don't believe that i mean we, we've been <laughs> we've been reading um walking water by madeline langle mm-hmm. for our uh, group we have and at least there have been in past and probably still now groups of christian that are very iffy about fiction yes not healthily i'm like yeah i was gonna say for as story crazy as we have been, yeah, Christians have sometimes been a little too hesitant, mm-hmm. restrictive on stories. What did you say about, uh, tell us your parable story? Oh, yeah, I was in a Bible study once, and uh, it was about, we were talking about the parables of Jesus, and at least one of the people there, because I think the pastor was saying, like, look, this is a, a made-up story that Jesus used to make an illustration. And the guy, person basically one is like, no, they're all true stories, because Jesus wouldn't lie. Uh-huh. Um, and again, that seems overboard as far as the ne- what a story is. It's misunderstanding what a story is. It's not a lie. Well, I always remember from Taylor, fiction is a lie that tells the truth. That was what, how they said it in some class I don't remember. Uh-huh. But yeah, we, Jesus wouldn't tell lies, but they're not intended to be lies. They're not, so, they're not meant to be taken that way. You're, you're reading it out of context. So even fiction, that whole like fiction is a lie that tells the truth, I, I want to push back against that just a little bit because like, is that... You know, do we take that as a as a lie? Okay, yeah, yeah, but, because it's not a. No, I think it's just a clever way of saying it. Yeah, it's yeah. a fault. It's not literally true. And I think that's the key with some biblical language. Like you can find some passages in the Psalms, Proverbs, where they're not saying things that are literally true, but they are true. But they are true. Yeah. They are. They're. They're using. I think most languages, I'm no linguist. <laughs> I don't know all what? the languages in the world. But like, I wouldn't be surprised if most of them have some sort of pictorial way of using words. Figurative language is, a, you know, when you at school, you have to teach them, you know, okay, here's your metaphor and your personification, all that. But it's so funny because you learn all the terms, but we do it all the time naturally. Little kids do it naturally. I mean, and... And Jesus did it in ways that aren't just parables, like something that Jesus said that you could construe as ridiculous is the whole, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye when there's a plank in your own eye? Yeah. Well, who who would not notice a plank yeah. in your eye? Like, that's that's absurd. It's a ridiculous mental picture. But there's Jesus using an illustrative point. And, to, and sh- they say humorous, probably, in the context. Yeah, probably. No, and I think this is interesting because this is slight sidetrack. Most of the Old Testament is poetry. The vast majority of its poetry. If you include the prophecies of that? Prophecies, Psalms, all of Job. Mm. Uh, I mean, and when Jesus came then, he doesn't use language simply. He uses it in in almost the most complex way possible. He uses layers of meaning and symbolism and metaphor. And Mm -hmm. and if he's the word made flesh, he's going to use words in (laughs) a better way than we do, not a worse, dumber way. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, So couple of things I guess I want to round out to is that as a Christian, obviously, I think you and I would both agree story is important. Yeah. The Bible is a story. It's a true story, but it's still told in a fictional manner, not in a, here's a 10 things in order to be saved. You know, it's <laughs> right. still a narrative. Yeah. Jesus often told stories, routinely right. told stories. Right. But I guess here's the question. Where would the storyteller sit in a perfectly Christian society? Yeah. Well... I'll let you try that first. <laughs> well, I, if you have an answer, I would like to hear it first, actually. But Well, I don't know if I have an answer, but I fancy it would be lower than modern society. Okay. Here's the thing. I think there should be a certain humility because storytelling is important, but there's a lot of important... Well, here, ah, let me back up. I have not thought this all the way through. <laughs> the reason the tribal storyteller was important was because he told stories that made the community... As it should be. Okay. Right? I mean, that's their their theory. I mean, sure. it's all theoretical. But uh-huh. I think Christian storytellers' main purpose is to tell the truth. Not facts. Uh-huh. But you're aligning the world to how it actually is. Okay, here's a related question then yeah. for you. Would a Christian view of storytelling simply fall underneath teaching? You know, Paul talks Ooh, a lot about like the I different. Like that question. <laughs> Paul talks a lot about the different roles of members of the yeah. church, and he never really. I mean, there's probably a lot of things that he doesn't mention specifically. Yeah, storytelling is not one of them. A storyteller is not one of them, but teaching is. Oh, see, I'm going to push a little bit here. Okay. I think teaching. Yeah, I think we go there certainly, because again, in some ways, that kind of I think downplay like 
stories are not just teaching, but yeah. it is that's one of its functions. Yes. But I think you could also put it under oh, I don't know, preaching or prophecy. I was gonna say you since you called the prophecies or the prophets earlier was poetry. Well, and here's why I would say prophecy, because prophecy, at least in one understanding, is not just telling the future, but it's in some ways revealing the will of God, you know, taking the words that are there and pushing them in a unique way. Mm-hmm. And sometimes like, like, in a very, and not a straightforward, literal way, yeah. often in a very kind of poetic... Um, Subversive in some ways. Yeah, kind of abstract, even. Yeah, and... Would, which is one thing I often find frustrating about prophecies, and that they are so abstract, like, is this even any use for me until I actually see them take place? So, yeah, I think I think you could fit in a lot of those. Because I think what the, you're doing, like, some are teachers, some are pastors, some are <laughs> or preachers, some are prophets, some are... I yeah. remember there's like five of them or something. Yeah. But here's like, I guess here's what I come down at. If it was a perfectly Christian world, storytelling would be one of the gifts. It is one of the gifts. Sure. And, and a lot of people can do it in various ways, but I think it just is part of the body. Mm-hmm. It's important. Yeah. It's worth honoring. But I think we would also honor other things equal to it that maybe non-Christian mm. cultures would not. Okay. Okay, I see where we're coming there. Because if it's about telling truth, then there's lots of things that do that. Sure. Outside of... Well, and it's, it falls in line with what Andrew Peterson has argued in Adorning the Dark, which is yeah. another book on creativity we've read not too long ago. He makes the point, and I've probably shared this on the podcast before, but how he doesn't like the, the term creatives, mm-hmm. because he argues that all people are creative in some way. Yeah. doesn't mean that you're a, a painter or a musician or a writer or a filmmaker. Everyone can create a loving home. They, women create children. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, nurturing and also procreation. And um, you can create a beautiful garden. You can create a business, a, a business, a clean living space. Yes. <laughs> it's all matter of ordering God's creation in some way to make it better, or at least better than it would just by entropy. Because I think, I think sometimes in the modern secular sense, storytellers are held high. If they have a certain sense of, like they have a certain sense of inspiration, like they're they just know thing, you know that sort uh-huh. of like, po- like it's the Alan Moore wrote this thing and it's amazing. Yeah, he's a prodigy. He's a pro. Yeah, this pro. Yeah, I think there's some of that going on sometimes. In the story, sort in the really respected, like they do things I couldn't even think of doing. Uh-huh. And in Christianity, that might be true, but that doesn't mean they're just one part. Yeah, they're not the end or the the ultimate goal for all people. Yeah, Christianity really does encourage the whole idea. Of we all have a role to play. The example that often gets pointed out for creative type people, <laughs> yeah, those who I mean, I still tend to use creative sometimes as a noun just because it helps. We need a word. It's a gen- good general <laughs> word. And yeah. like artists has a, n- a different connotation. But anyway, the example people often give of this is like the guy who helped build the tabernacle. Mm-hmm. There's like a certain guy that, that God said, I've given him certain gifts and craftsmanship yep. and all this kind of stuff. And we look to him and like, see, here's an example of God gave someone a very specific set of talents to go do this stuff. <laughs> very specific set of skills. <laughs> but it'd be nice to see more of a balance. I mean, there's a lot going on in our modern world. I mean, the fact that, I mean, there's probably other professions that are elevated more highly than they should be in modern Oh, yeah. Sure. I mean, things are all, and every, every time period has things that elevates and things that denigrates. Yeah. That are probably out of whack with how it should be. Yeah, that's true. From season to season. And it, I think it's just interesting then that that necessarily creating the meaning, too, doesn't have to fill a void in a, in a perfect Christian setup. Because the meaning, everyone has, it, the Bible is, the, you know, where we get it. And yeah. the storyteller is just revealing a certain version of, not version, but a... Aspect. Aspect, thank you, yes. Yeah. Versus, like, we need to find meaning in this vain, crazy, chasing after the wind world. So, random question, then. Yes. Maybe we'll close this out on. What do you think a storyteller's role in heaven will be? I think it's going to be the same thing in the sense of if God is infinite, you won't know it all at once. And why not spend a whole, I mean, you can write a whole series on one idea, revealing different aspects of a character, you Mm -hmm. know, granted, not only God himself, but also just the world we live in. There will be a lot of things I think to reveal, revel in. Now, I'm not thought through how the whole conflict thing will work or not work. But, um, <laughs> that's a fair question. But, but that's a whole different issue. Yeah. That gets into deep waters there. 
<laughs> this may be a complete yeah, side tangent, and if it, if it doesn't fit, I'll cut it out. But what was the story of the artist in The Great Divorce? What was his whole oh, thing? See, I know this part of it because this is part of why I became a writer. Uh-huh. That's um, what I thought, but I couldn't remember the details. Well, they were, he was a painter. A painter. He okay. was a painter. And well, one, yeah. one was heaven, one was visiting heaven. If you don't know The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis, the whole conceit is that people from hell take a bus trip to heaven. And most of them decide that eh, they don't like it and go back to hell, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, very Lewis. Very, very kind Lewis. of idea. Again, one of those things that is not true, that's not how heaven hell actually are, but reveals a truth about mm-hmm. the type of people go. But the one painter said to the other, when you he was kind of an impressionist painter, like a Van Gogh or a... Well, I can't think of other ones. Monet. 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 Yeah. Monet. Thank you. Yes, he'd be better example. That is like when you paint the light, you were painting actually a ref- your glimpse into heaven sort of thing. The, the way he was communicating the light on the... I always think of this uh, piece of work at um, the Chicago Museum of Art. It might be Monet. It's just like a haystack at different times of day in different lighting. Okay. Um, it's like a variety, a series of paintings. But you glimpse some of heaven's light when you paint the light in this picture. And I think it's that idea that you glimpse some of the beauty of heaven, of God, and you communicated it imperfectly. But then the guy, the artist, was more concerned with the materials and the, having a legacy and all this stuff and not about the what had actually made him make stuff. You mean not the source or not what he was actually picturing? Not the source. He didn't care. About he had got okay. all, all into the... He had lost connection with why he painted in the first place and got into all the details of the business, the of, business of painting. Yeah. Yeah. And not necessarily financial, but just the, the, the materials, the art, the prestige, the theories, mm-hmm. the uh, stuff, the stuff, all the human stuff of it. Interesting. Yeah. Anyways, I didn't know where this conversation would go. I just thought it was an interesting jumping off point about the desirability of storytellers. Obviously, storytellers, I think, throughout history have always been important. For various reasons, shared reasons, but I think the the emphasis and the changes in different cultures. And it's just, you know, I think for us, just finding, okay, what is the proper spot? Nice. All right. I guess that with that, we'll go to our first soundtrack. Okay. My soundtrack today, I thought this was, this was a fun story behind this song. So... Kakariko Village is a theme from The Legend of Zelda, A Link to the Past. There might be, I think there are different versions of Kakariko Village. Yes, but that's the one I always remember, Link to the Past. Yeah. Okay, okay. Well, it's this very cheery town theme, but expert novice wanted to do a different version of it. And while he was thinking through this, he thought about the times where the players abused the chickens in the village. <laughs> I've done Everyone's done it. Like throwing the chickens around. Until they attack. Until, yeah, the, the chickens in Zelda games will attack you if, you if you bug them enough, right? Anyway, he got to thinking about what would the chicken story be like? And then he thought they might want revenge. So he tried to give them a, a, a story of, uh, of revenge, of an epic tale that the chickens might tell. Uh, so this is this remix is called The Chicken's Tale. It is a remix of the Kakariko Village theme from A Legend of Zelda, Link to the Past. And imagine a chicken telling this. You, um, I'm going to play the Kakariko's Village underneath this so you can hear this kind of nice, cheery, bouncy thing. This is the vibe of the village. But the chickens have to tell this tale of epic chickens overthrowing their human masters. That's what this remix is. Nice. So enjoy. Thank you. 
Welcome back. Hopefully everyone survived the chicken's tail. Yes. Remember, if you abuse the chickens, they may uh, tell stories that will inspire their kind to come back. Remember, stories are dangerous, so be beware of those who tell them. <laughs> they may come back to peck you. Very nice, <laughs> I guess. Anyways, uh, we'll move on to Once Upon a Sentence. All right, Timothy, can you remind us of last month's sentence? Yes, last month's sentence brought to us by the one and only Aaron Brosman was the ships hung in the sky in much the same way that bricks don't. As of the time of this recording, we have no answers. Which I'm kind of surprised by. I bet there's I bet there's someone out there who knew but just forgot to forgot to, to contact us. Well, you're too late. So what is it, Tim? It is from The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Dun dun dun. By Douglas Adams. Yes. So famous sci-fi satirical uh, or what do you call it? Is it a spoof? Humor, I guess. Humor, you just novel. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. All right, uh, so our next uh, Once Upon a Sentence, in honor of storytelling, I will say is both from a short story and from a collection. Aha. Uh-huh. So I don't know which that helps or not. But So what is this month's sentence? This month's sentence is, in the living room, the voice clock sang, tick-tock, seven o'clock, time to get up, time to get up, seven o'clock, as if it were afraid that nobody would. Aw. Okay. okay. One last time? One last okay, time. Let's hear it again. In the living room, the voice clock sang, Tick-tock, 7 o'clock, time to get up, time to get up, 7 o'clock, as if it were afraid that nobody would. All right, so you may email us at derailedtrains at gmail.com. All right, you can even leave a comment, I guess, on yes, our website. And on we'll our website, derailedtrainsofthought.com. We're also on Twitter and Facebook. I guess if you leave a comment in the, these public places, you might be spoiling it for someone else. But hey, at least you're, you'd be the first. You'd be the first. You can claim first as you do it. Exactly. In a classic internet tradition. So now let's go on to a bit of story. All right, so uh, it's been a bit since we've done a bit of story. It seems appropriate in an episode that's about storytelling to... Do some storytelling. Yes, there we go. So tell us a story, Mr. Storyteller. Uh, our story, Mr. Uh, anyways. <laughs> so this one actually is a lot of fun. My daughter, this would have been about two years ago, drew this ridiculous picture of this pig princess or half pig princess, half goblin. Which is interesting because has Serenity ever heard or read a girl called Snort? Mm, I think she's heard of it. We've not read much of it. Okay. So not inspired by that. I don't think so. I mean, we'd read a little bit of it, but I don't think so. So anyway, she drew a picture of Princess Pig Gob, half pig, half goblin, pig, gob, Um, and she lives in Dill Pickleville, and she asked everyone, she posed this on our wall and said, hey, everyone, we're going to have a contest, write a story for it. Okay. Um, And so I did, and my wife did. I don't think Theo did, which he probably should have, but (laughs) every once in a while, our walls just become like, you know... It's like an art gallery in your house. Well, no, but sometimes there's like announcements on our wall from our kids. Like, hey, coming up is a show or coming up is a contest. or Oh, I see. I so see. <laughs> I never know what's going to be up at your house when I go <laughs> over there. It it's, makes it quite entertaining. You, you saw have, the piranha plant last time, didn't you? The piranha plant, yes, which was awesome, made out of cardboard. And it was like probably about as tall as Fio is. Yeah, it's, it's cool. It's very impressive. So in any case, uh, this is called In Which Princess Pig Gob Encounters Galoomph the Hunter. Okay. So here we go. His name was Galoomph, and he was a hunter. He hunted any kind of creature. Chimeras, manticores, unicorns, sphinxes, fairies, mermaids, horse fairies, mermaid fairies, narwhals, you name it. He hunted them, he killed them, sometimes for a price, sometimes just for fun. Galoomph was not a nice guy. His client desired stealth, so Galoomph waited outside Dill Pickleville until the sun set and the gate closed. No one saw him as he climbed the wall. If they saw him, they would remember him. He was seven feet tall, with one large eye planted moon-like smack dab in the center of his face, and he had just one rope-like hair on top of his bald head that no blade could cut. If they saw him, they would remember him, and he couldn't have that. He stalked carefully through the streets of Dill Pickleville, as silently as a glare, toward the castle Princess Big Ob. Tonight would be her last night. <laughs> 
Galunf was not one of those mercenaries who took the coin and asked no questions. That led to accidents and decapitations. Galunf instead had carefully designed a 12-page questionnaire his clients filled out. That is how he knew exactly why Mulg, king of Cucumberg, hated Princess Pigab. Reason 1. Pigab was the daughter of Mulg's arch-nemesis, who was also his younger brother. That story was long and complicated, and had been described in detail in extra pages attached to the What Do You Want Me To Kill packet section of the questionnaire. Basically, the two brothers had discovered the dragon egg as kids. Mulg, then princelet of the Cucumberg, had wanted to raise a ferocious fire-breathing beast of war. His brother had been rather peckish. An omelette was made. A rivalry sparked. Reason 2. Maul considered Princess Bigob an unnatural creature, an abomination among men. Sure, she was half pig and half goblin. Her mother, interestingly, was full pig goblin. It was worse than that, though. Princess Pigob also preferred her toast plain, without jelly or jam, without butter even, burnt as black as sin. This infuriated Mulg beyond all reason. Pigob must die. Reason 3. Mulg desired Princess Pigob's head on a platter, the method of delivery specified in question 17 of section 3, because his son had fallen in love with Princess Pigob, and no son of his was going to bring home a lovely, charming, funny, half-big, half-goblin heir to a throne and enormous wealth if he had any say in it. Regardless, Golumf was happy to comply. This hunt would take little effort. Whatever risks there were, Princess Pigob had a fanatically devoted maid and some small fanciful magic were negligible, especially when all her guards and friends were sound asleep and he stood over her, sword in hand. So Galunf slid through the shadows like an enchanted arrow through dragon scales. He passed the sentries like an ill-boding wind past the window of an in-common room. He ascended the winding stairs like the flatulence of a swamp slug. He entered the royal rooms and adjoining areas of Princess Pigob. She snored. He approached. Her lustrous hair shimmered in the moonlight shining through the open balcony door. With a soft shh, he unsheathed his short, shiny sword. He raised it over his head. He brought it down. Princess Pigop rolled to her side to a better position. The sword sliced through the quilt and mattress, sending feathers flying. One of those feathers fell upon Princess Pigop's snout. It twitched, tickled. She murmured, but did not wake. Galoomph, raising his sword again, paused. Princess Pigob was muttering something. He stooped down to listen. In calm, not windy weather, drift we a few light as a feather. Galoomph's heavy body lifted into the air. By some small, fanciful magic, he was floating. It didn't matter. He could still strike. This time he lunged, hoping to skewer the pig goblin princess. The move was rather awkward. He had no leverage. The sword pierced the large stuffed bear the princess slept with. In his frustration, he flapped his limbs, stirring up a lone feather. It fell again upon Princess Pigob's snout. The snout twitched. She sneezed. Now, as you perhaps know, sneezes are one of the three great natural defenses provided the pig goblin, alongside unbreakable teeth and an ability to bear even the most unpleasant aromas. This sneeze came with a great force and a volume of phlegm. Galoomph, floating above the princess, felt the blast full force. He went hurtling out beyond the balcony and above the bitter forest beyond Dill Pickleville, dripping mucus. In the morning, Princess Pigob woke and complained greatly of the tears in her bed and the hole in her bear. What happened? she asked her maid, the blindly loyal Hildegast Hildebrand. Blessed if I know, princess. Another assassination attempt, I don't wonder. Princess Pigob sighed. That's the third of this month. Oh well. I won't figure anything out on an empty stomach. Breakfast? Two slices of toast, just like you like them, princess. She crunched into the first, charcoal crumbs splattering the sheets. So, Nick, what insightful um, moral were you teaching your children with that story? Don't kill people. (laughs) (laughs) Makes sense. Or you'll get team rocketed by a sneeze. (laughs) I'm saying that life is fun. Enjoy it. Laugh. So yeah, it's it's interesting. After Tim gets done with this, it probably won't have as many problems as I had to run and read it. It was kind of a tongue twistery sort of story. (laughs) 
you had some tricky names, but also sometimes you just got tripped over your own verbiage. Or verbiage. Yes. <laughs> I'm curious, who won this writing contest? I think I did. Did you? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think, just because I think the humor got it. Uh, okay. Natasha's was good, but mine was ridiculous. Okay. <laughs> so the, the laughter went out. For a six-year-old, yeah. Uh, okay. Gotcha. <laughs> that makes sense. Because about two years ago? Yeah. So six. Yeah. Okay. Wait, no. Eight. And my time's wrong. She would have been eight. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. After that uh, bit of silliness, it's time to go to, probably a little more silliness, in... It came from the interwebs. All right, this is, I don't know how much there is here. This is just something I found the other day, and its it just made me laugh. I thought it was just ridiculous. Bring it on. So, The Guardian, which is a big newspaper in Britain, uh-huh. has a section called Experience, where people write their experience. It's like like first-person stories. Everyone's telling their, their lived experience. Okay. I get this email with random things that people are saving, and I... I just had to click. I'm like, what is this? And then I found that there's lots of these. Okay, explain that. That you get an email for things that people are saving. So there's this app called Pocket, which I saw. I used to use to save articles. Okay, and just puts it so you can read it later. Okay, I don't use it anymore, but I still get the email where it sends what lots of people are saving. It makes like a collection of like the top five things everyone's saving. Okay, and it has a very interesting collection of stories because it's a uh, you tell there's a certain type of person. Who uses who this, uses this, this thing? Okay. Yeah, interesting. And the, I just normally just read the headline. Everyone's probably click one and look into it. But it's just an, an interesting thing. So the one that came to me was this. And these are just headlines. I I, I read a, a little bit, but the so headlines it, just make me funny. Yeah, I guess we go back. So this is back on the the Guardian thing of the experience. Yes, the, the experience. So this was the first experience I was exposed to. Okay, so it just it came in my email. It said experience from some random person who shared this with the Guardian. Yes. I let a baby bird nest in my hair for 84 days. That's an interesting hobby. And I'm like, why? And and then I read part of it. And just it was like this whole like and if you read a little bit, and they're always they're not always, but um let's see if I can find this. They're they're always kind of like meaning, you know, they're they're well meaning kind of things. Oh, I guess I should ask. They tend to have a rational explanation or these are just quirky people. Yeah. They're just quirky people. Like, okay. Yeah, it just. Um, I'm guessing this person had very long hair. Yeah, it's been a long time since I read it. Just like she just let him nest there. Each day he made little nests in my hair on the groove of my collarbone, which filled me with awe. He tucked himself under a curtain of my hair and gathered individual strands with his beak, sculpting them into a round of ro- woven locks resembling a small nest and setting them aside. He would allow it to unravel when it was done and start again the next day. And she just like bonded with this bird, and you know it's usually like this deep experience sort of thing. It's just like man, my my neck started feeling stiff just yeah. listening to that. It's like I can't imagine like how how would you hold still that long enough for a bird to do so that? So like here's the last line: raising him taught me how to live in the present, change me forever. Um, yeah. So okay, well, congratulations. <laughs> yeah. So okay, so what? what, what are, let's hear so some there, more there's stories. Just, I, so uh, I'm just looking through, and some of them are some of them are just like normal, some of them are just like weird, like. Experience. I've collected more than eight thousand teapots, which okay. Yeah, I mean that's just weird. There are people who have made those sorts of collections. I've heard on um, on World and Everything in it. I think it was there was some guy who collected sand from all around the world. Yeah, I think I think everyone listened to that one. Yeah. So some of these are just like interesting people, but some of them they're just like clickbait headlines, just like experience. I punctured my lung by eating cereal. Yikes. <laughs> So, I mean, th- this is a form of storytelling. It is, it is. It's, it's a just, form of, like, bizarre storytelling. It, it's like Ripley's Believe It or Not became, like, <laughs> highbrow English newspaper. <laughs> and that's what that's what makes me funny. I think what I find so funny is not, like, weird things happen to people, that we, like, cultivate this collection of, like... Oddities. Oddities. And, like, and at least the few I look at, like, they always try to bring some sort of, like... It's not just, like, this is a weird day. It's, like, some sort of, like... Meaning moral, of life moral idea. purpose, something out of it. Okay. Um, I bake recipes I find on gravestones. <laughs> now that's fascinating. I mean, I've heard about taking a recipe to your grave, but that's a little literal. But see, everyone's well. I thought that's a good line. Come yeah. on. <laughs> and then you know, like here's the last line, last sentence, paragraph. Of this one, I've not read this one. The idea of selecting a stone is terrifying to me. I don't know how I want the world to remember me just yet. But for these women, the recipes seem like the perfect way to connect with their families after they'd gone. And then they make this whole meaning out of collecting 
Oh, okay. Huh. Experience. A cactus saved my life. And then the little, the little tagline, this is it, I thought, as I started to roll down the canyon, rapidly picking up speed. <laughs> oh. Okay, okay, I can get okay. that, that gives me a mental picture. Like someone was rolling down a cliffside, and I'm guessing a cactus stopped I, their I, fall. I guess so. I mean, that sounds painful, but like, yeah, that's a good story. <laughs> oh, this one. I searched for my father for 16 years and discovered he was a murderer. Yikes. And then he says, if he'd done this to a stranger, what might he have done to me? That's the tagline. Yeah. <laughs> See, I wouldn't have guessed these headlines came from a, a British newspaper. I would have guessed they came from a tabloid. Exactly. Experience. I found a tiny frog in my salad. Now he's my friend. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That was not the direction I expected that no, to go. No, <laughs> And then so, sometimes they're just kind of depressing. Like, experience. After getting COVID, everything I eat tastes like rotting flesh. Ooh, I mean, I've heard of that. That's that's, that's not, disgusting. That's not a um, it's not an isolated incident. That I have heard about. Yeah, there's stories about people who have gotten COVID yeah. and their tastes are all screwed up. This one sounds like it should have come from Stuart M. War Hero. Okay, okay, uh, which uh, is a short story from ages ago. Uh-huh. I wrote experience. I was impaled on a shoe rack. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Either that or something that happened to your wife in Brazil. Okay. <laughs> This just sounds like a horror film, like a disaster film. I was attacked by a dog while climbing a volcano. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah, that's, that's a series of unfortunate events. They just compound on each other. <laughs> exactly. Um, I just like this. This is just, just cartoonish experience. I got pulled into a conveyor belt by my scarf. Uh, here's the tagline. My head was edging closer to the gap where it would be crushed. Knowing there was nothing I could do, I felt strangely at ease with my fate. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. Experience. I made friends with my doppelganger. <laughs> okay. That'd be interesting. This right here is, uh, like, like I would hate, like this would be a worse a nightmare. Okay. Experience. I went to the same nightclub for a thousand nights. Same nightclub for a thousand nights. I just, nights. that sounds like horrible. I don't need <laughs> nightclubs every night. That just seems. <laughs> Let's see. That would be a little under three years, I would guess. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. This one doesn't even count. This is just lame. They just need one this week. Experience. I broke my friend's leg. Who cares? That's, that's <laughs> like any kid. Yeah. Okay, that's a little harsh, but still. Now, this one would be rough. Experience. I'm allergic to water. What? <laughs> How okay. can you be allergic to water? Okay, it says, here's a tagline. When I shower, I feel a tingling. Then it progresses to a gnawing, itching feeling as if there were something chewing on the inside of my skin. Okay, that sounds more like a phobia than an allergy, because, like, our bodies are, like, what, 60% water or yeah, something I, like that? I don't know. It's just... That is... Uh, it's Tim, this, more is, Tim, this line from is from you. Okay. I wish people were a bit kinder about it. I've had people laugh at me and tell me that's impossible or that I'm making it up. They just say things like, but we're made up of water. How can you be allergic to it? We don't have the answer for that yet. I just know that I am. <laughs> Come on, Tim. Yes, clearly I'm not sensitive enough. That's that's the problem here. <clears throat> no, I I I I think you need to see a a doctor. This one I can I can I can get it behind this one. Experience. I've had the same supper for ten years. Mm. For him, it's apparently two pieces of fish and onion and egg, baked beans and biscuits. Okay, not the supper <laughs> I would go for. No, no, no. As for someone who was a bachelor for longer than he intended to be, it does ring a bell. Like, I definitely had uh, very similar suppers for a long period of time before I got married. Yeah. Like, not, not the exact same one every night, but yeah. I can be hot. Yeah. But anyway, so this, I'll see if I can find one or two more, but some of them are just like normal, and some of them are just like, why are we sensationalizing? <laughs> I mean, the, some it's of them, just interesting. Yeah, some of them are genuinely interesting. Some of them are genuinely is interesting. When I found it the first time, I just duck, ca- caught me like just the collect. They're all in the same place from the Guardian. I think just cracked me up. Uh, I mean, I can totally see if my life was saved by a cactus, I would totally use that as a conversation oh, yeah. starter. Experience. I helped a snail find love. Okay. Yeah, I I see your point there. Like, <laughs> you think about it for a second. It's like. Uh, okay, that's not quite as grand as you make it sound, but it, it's it's cute. I feel like we're being very judgmental in this segment. Oh, More yeah, than you I have to in this to yep. <laughs> Wow, I'm actually, this is impressive. Experience. I've written a letter to my local paper for every day for 40 years. Oh, wow. Wow. 
Must not be a lot going on in that paper for them to print. I don't know if you, they print them every yeah, day, though. That's true. They may not. But still, that's that is in, that's impressive. Impressive. I'm actually a little surprised they haven't just hired you by this point. Except if you're doing it for free, then maybe they don't have a reason to. This is a plot for some of these could be good, uh, like story starters, actually. Okay. Like this one experience. A burglar made me think I was losing my mind. Hmm. Because. Oh, here it says this makes more sense. Things were going missing, but everybody told me it was probably nothing. Oh, okay. Not like the, the burglar is having a conversation with you. And so. there's that guy. Experience. My face became a meme. Oh. Do you know that guy? Maybe. He, he, he just showed me a picture, folks. Yes, it's the guy. Uh, what He's at the computer, and he's like all, like this old computer. Let's see, where is that? Here it is. Uh, Tim, help me describe this thing once I... Oh, man, vaguely. Okay, so there's a guy holding a mug of coffee, and he's got this like, he's smiling, but he looks like he's almost like, huh, what, how do you describe that face? Uh, yeah. He's, he's like, you caught him in the middle of doing something else and just asked him to smile suddenly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's his natural smile. I don't mean to make fun of it, dude. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, I, no, no. It's just... Well, this is interesting. Experience. I rescued my husband from a volcano on our honeymoon. Ooh. It's like... um, What's that movie? Joe versus Volcano. Oh, sure. Anyways. Anyway, it just... It was just... It's an interesting... It's a very interesting collection of stories. Like, I'm sure individually they're very fascinating. Just when I saw them all on a page... Yeah. It's just like... What is this? <laughs> it's like this main, this big paper. Yeah, there, there's a, there's like a compounding factor when you see them all together in one place like that. Yeah, and I mean, and then when you look closely, it's like okay, these are yeah interesting tidbits, like slice of life kinds of stories. I'm not sure I really care that all that much about the uh, mating snails, but no, 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 no. Okay, experience. I taste people's names. Huh. Interesting. But I've heard that what is it called synesthesia, where like you like you hear music and you see color sort of stuff. Yeah, there's. <laughs> I recently nominated books for our book club, and one of the authors in his author bio says that he is one of those things. Oh, okay. So he's like, so if you give him a piece of cake and he tells you tells you that it uh, tastes blue, take that as a compliment. Okay. <laughs> it's like uh, okay. Interesting. <laughs> that would be a very different life. It would be a very different life. Anyways, so that was just a little. The interesting things of the internet. And if yeah. it wasn't for uh, stories, telling people telling real-life things that happen to them, that's a slice of the human experience it we want to know about. There's a, quite a lot of interesting... The world is a fascinating place. I mean, there's a lot of story. Like, if you think it might have happened to somebody, it probably has. <laughs> there you go. So, I guess with that... We need to find our way out of here. Yeah. Um, I'm hearing some ruckus down at the other end. Maybe that, that old man and his dog have uh, found an opening somehow. Yeah. Or at least they can keep us entertained, maybe. if True. Maybe, yeah. yeah. I mean, um, some human company might be good if we're trapped down here for a while. Yeah. So, Tim, how can they get a hold of us? You can email us. Our email address is dearoldtrains at gmail.com. Also, we are on Twitter. You can follow us at... Is it derailed underscore trains? I think so. That is our Twitter handle. As well as Facebook. That's another place. That's it. And then you can subscribe as uh, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, other places. Find all of our podcasts. Overcast. Well, yes, on those places, as well as derailedtrainsofthought.com, our various fancy new websites. And you can search all sorts of cool ways. Yes. Old look. things. When was the last time we did Crack, crack Pot's Corner? Well, probably a while ago. Probably 100. Find our, yeah, probably our episode 100. We met some interesting people in episode 100. But yes, you can uh, find your favorite segments, find uh, old topics, or just bask in the wonder of over 130 episodes of Dear Old yeah. Trains of Thought. Share it with your friends, your family, your snails. Or so, snails, indeed. Yeah. Experience. I found the best podcast ever listening to Tim and Nick. Aw. Anyways, my soundtrack before we meander out of here is from Monkey Island 2, Led Chuck's Revenge. It's called Cozy Campfire. It just gave me a sense of like, you know, you sit around the campfire, you're telling stories. It's a very piratey sort of sound, a very meandering sort of like we're just sitting here playing music thinking about the treasure that we just robbed or forgot or whatever and it may sound familiar by the end is uh something we've used for our listener feedback intros so now you'll get to hear the full version it is remixed by yfish y-f-f-i-s-c-h yfish 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 all right so enjoy cozy campfire and we will be hopefully out of here so sounds good this has been nick and this is tim adios Arr, i mean bye-bye mm-hmm.
Thank you. 